Father, and now as we read and as we study and learn from, as we hear from your word, may you shape our hearts and our minds for obedience. Father, I pray for the grace, for the empowerment, for the enabling of your Holy Spirit to accomplish what you will put before us. Work strong, Lord, in our hearts. Help us to be willing to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. If you will stand with me, we're going to read. You'll find it in the middle of your bulletin. As we come to the close of our series in the Sermon on the Mount, this indeed has been, hopefully for you, life-changing, perspective-shaping and one that will cause you to walk more intentionally and purposefully in the Lord. Let's read together, starting at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Amen. You may be seated. The word of the Lord. We have walked through that first discourse that, that Matthew mentions, that sermon on the mount, that and again, we don't get the full, we get probably the highlights as Matthew was taking us somewhere and pointing us in a particular direction as he wrote this book, as he wrote to the people that would see Jesus as the Messiah, as the king of the kingdom, that the fulfillment of the law, all that was happening through the law and the prophets over time culminated climax apexed in Jesus and he was now finishing off his sermon and when he does I'm going to back up a little bit into some of the sermon that my brother Mike so well preached a couple of weeks ago and and because it actually gives some context to this but as Jesus finishes 
he takes them down a path of making a choice. I know a lot of us think that Jesus is just about loving me and meeting me where I am and, 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 and helping me through my tough time. But Jesus, often throughout Scripture, while he was here, brought people to the point of a choice. Jesus always brought them to, brought them to somewhere where they would choose based on what they heard. And as he ends this sermon, it is no exception. But one of the things I want us to understand, it was a quote um, by Dr. D.A. Carson. As you know, and you've heard me say before, I like his commentaries. I like the way he thinks and writes professor, actually just retired professor from Trinity Seminary in Illinois, and he wrote this in his commentary on Matthew. He said, nothing could be more calamitous than to meditate long and hard on Matthew 5.1 through 7.12, and then to resolve to improve a little. This sermon was not about you getting better at life. As a matter of fact, as you heard this, what should have been happening along the way, it was with me, is that you were asking this question, Lord, how on earth can I live like this? Lord, how can we accomplish this? This, this is insurmountable if it wasn't for Jesus. See, if we read this and say, oh, I got this, you missed it. If you read through this, if we went along this way and you said, now I know, and I'm just going to jump in and do all of what God wants, you missed it. Yes, God wants you and I to live out what he has stated, but our first response should almost be hopelessness going, Lord, I'm convicted beyond measure. How on earth am I going to get this done? What am I going to do? And then he offers the hope of the one who is sharing the sermon. Jesus says, you're right, you can't do it. Jesus goes, you're right, this is way beyond your pay grade. Jesus says, yes, you're right, this is way beyond your strength. And then he says, that's why I came. See, what we've heard, what we've heard over this time, we have read the demands, the attitudes, and characteristics of the kingdom. We've heard that from the mouth of the king. He was sharing what this kingdom that had emerged but had not fully arrived, still hasn't fully arrived, but it has come and it is emerging, but we haven't fully experienced it. He gave us what it was like, what it would be like, what, 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 what would characterize it, what the people that were in it would look like, how they would live. And he also showed us those that were fake and phony, those that were not real what they looked like when they thought that they were in the kingdom. They thought that they had what God had intended, and he said they were far from it. As a matter of fact, he says at one point, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you have to park there for a second, because everyone thought that the Pharisees had it made, that they had their religion together, they had their doctrine together, and they had their life together because they were well-paid, they were well-connected, they were well-resourced. And so when they looked at the Pharisees, they thought, that's the people that God blesses and honors. And Jesus comes and says, unless your righteousness goes past theirs, 
you won't make it, which he's saying they're not making it. Because if you don't go past them, you're not in. And I know that must have rocked their world. And he comes now as the king and he says, here is what my kingdom is like. And you see it all throughout the Old Testament. We don't understand the teaching of the kingdom if we don't look back into how it was being shaped from the very beginning. And that God was always creating, God was always, and his plan was always to have a sacred space in which his people could come and worship. Always. As we said in the class, Kingdom of God, Charles, I know that you know this, Minister Wright, that, that, that indeed we, we learned that indeed when you have a sacred space back then, that God also, especially some of the gods back at that time, would mark their territory by by, by statues that bore their image. And it lets you know that you were in the territory of this particular king. God did that as well, because what did he say in the beginning? He said, let us make man in our image. God said, this is my territory. How do I know? I'm looking out at you. Every time I see man and woman, I realize I'm in the territory of the one whose image is born all around. Amen. And they understood it, and God was staking his claim, and he worked through time, and he worked through the prophets, and he talked about this coming kingdom, and now the king has arrived. And in his arrival, he sets what it will be like. And so we realize that we're not living for ourselves, that we are living for the king, that we are living under his rule and reign, and his rule and reign is constantly expanding. I know it looks like it's not. I know it looks like we're losing ground. I know it looks like we're not getting what God wants to have done, but God says, no, 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 you don't understand. My kingdom is always gaining ground. Even when it doesn't look like it, God's sovereign rule is always there. And it's spreading. How is it spreading when you and I are living out according to his will? And so he comes at the end of this sermon. And he takes us on a journey of twos. See, understand that. We should un that, that we should know, yes, our inability to carry out his will outside of him is very evident. See, why do you think, just for a moment, why do you think he started out his sermon by saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit? You remember we, we went down that. Why did he say that? And that poor didn't mean economically. He wasn't talking about that. He said, blessed are those who are bankrupt. You come to him with nothing. You bring him nothing. You have nothing for him. You are of no benefit to him. You come totally empty. And he starts off his sermon and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He talked about that for theirs is the kingdom. The bankrupt ones, the ones who don't come, God, you glad you got me. I know you glad I'm here today. I can do something for your kingdom. I said, you can't do anything for me. 
And he says, unless you come bankrupt. And so we come to the end and we realize it is in our hopelessness that we have great help. It is in our helplessness that we have great hope. Because the king says, I got this. And so he takes us on this journey of twos. Mike spoke two weeks ago about us about two ways. See, Jesus is now setting the tone that you and I are going to have to make a choice. He said, there's not three ways. All roads don't lead to God. I know you've heard that, but it doesn't. God says, there are two ways. And, and, and he says, either, and he said, there are, there are only two responses to my kingdom that are there. There's not a third one. There's not a mix of one. There's not, you got another choice, Jesus? No, he says, there's one of two. And he says, either it's the kingdom and you embrace it or you don't and you're not. And he says, that's it. And he demonstrated in these two. The first one was two ways. He says, there's the broad way and the narrow way. And in that broad way, understand what that broad way, as we've heard, it makes accommodation for many people. A lot of you can get in. You can, you can, you can kind of do what you want. You can, you can live like you want on that way. And there are many that are there, but even there is the narrow way. It is one that is not easy to get into. And he says, as you go along the narrow way, he says, relatively speaking, there will be few. There are not a lot. There will be some lonely days. There will be standing up on your own and by yourself sometimes. Sometimes folk won't understand you. Sometimes they will think you're crazy. You've lost your mind for walking with this Jesus. But that is the narrow way. Sometimes they won't accept you. Sometimes it will cost you money. Sometimes it will cost you popularity. But he says that's the narrow way. He goes, choose. Now, I just want to break here for a second. Understand this. Jesus is not saying that by doing these things, you are in the kingdom. What he is telling us is those who are in the kingdom will do these things. It's a big difference. What do I mean by that? See, for you and I, it, I'm not earning anything. There are no brownie points for doing this. You're not checking off the list and showing it to God saying, see, see why I can get in? What he is saying is as a result of heart change and true disciples, true citizens of the kingdom will display and will demonstrate these truths. They will come out in their life in increasing measure and over time. And here's a gauge. This is not a gauge for me to look at my neighbor and be like, see, I told you you weren't in Jesus. That is for me to put up the mirror. And to say, where am I? God gives us time to check ourselves. And so we had the broad way, the narrow way. Then he went to two trees. He talked about false prophets. He talked about good trees and bad trees or where you are fed from. And he says, you can be nourished by false prophets. And here's the thing with them. He wasn't talking about those that are easy to spot. Because listen, the explanation that was given tells us that this takes some discernment. It says they what? What does scripture say? Here, let's look at it. It says, go back up, because I just forgot it for a minute, um, to verse 15. 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Oh, for a second. Wow. They will, come within, they will come to you dressed as sheep. They will look like believers. They will act like believers. They may even talk like believers. He says, but inside there's something else going on. And you might not recognize it right away, but he says, give it time. As Mike shared with us, you will know them. And he says it twice. You will be able to spot them by their fruit. What fruit? Fruit one is with their message. Their message, and as I was reading up on this, their message, they have a hard time preaching narrow road messages. They have a hard time. Why? Because they themselves are not on the narrow road. He said they are false prophets. A prophet was a representative of God, someone who claimed preaching God's word and his will. And he says they are false. One is by the content of their message because they're not trying to get you on the narrow road. They don't know what that road is like. They themselves are not there. If that doesn't get you, the second one is, he said, you'll know them by the fruit of their lives. He said, give it time. What they really believe, they will live. And for you and I today, we need to remember that. Stop being swayed by great preaching. When I mean great, meaning great oratory skills. I'm not talking about great content. Please be swayed by that. I'm talking about those who now, who come and they sound great, smell good, look good, dress good, church has got it going on, music good, everything about it is good, but the content of their message and the lifestyle. He says it twice, you will know, he says, you'll be able, who's the you? True believers, true citizens will be able to spot them now. This is not the fruit police. Let me help you out with that. You got fruit? You got fruit, bro? Bro, you got fruit? Let me see your fruit. Show me your fruit. No, he says, you are not duped. You are not had the wool pulled over your eyes easily. Why? Because you are discerning. You are looking at those things that broad way people don't look at. What is that? They don't look at the content of the message and they don't look at the lifestyle. Hang around a little bit with some folk. See how they are outside of here. That's me included. Don't just believe because you heard a flowery message it says, no, he's not talking about that this person will live a perfect life, but they better be living a consistent life. You know what? Someone said to me once, whenever I was um, gaining more and more in ministry and they wanted to find out about it, brother said, I don't, I don't, I, I don't just talk to the brothers that want to be pastors. He said, I talk to their wives. I talk to their kids. I want to find out how they are outside of the public eye. Why? Think about this. Why? Because if I want to find out who you really are, I want you when you're not performing. I want you when you're not dancing for the crowd. I want to know how you handle everyday life. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. Then he goes on from the two trees. Now we go to where we are today in verse 21. He goes to two professions or two proclamations. 
And this is where it gets sobering. This is where it gets scary. See, what he has told us here is that there are people that seem to be something that they aren't and people believing that they are something that they aren't. It's not just them faking other people. It's not just them convincing other people about who they are and they aren't. They've convinced themselves that they're something that they are not. They've been lying to themselves. They've been fooling themselves. And he comes and he says in verse 21, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Stop there for a second. He says, not everyone who says, there's a lot of people saying things about Jesus. There's a lot of people talking about a relationship with God. There are a lot of people talking about, I know Jesus. And he says, don't believe them all. He says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, and that double Lord, Lord is a phrase of loyalty. It is a phrase of commitment. I'm yours, Lord. God, you've got me. Use me, Jesus. And there are people who come and say, Jesus is mine. They may even have the sticker, he's my co-pilot. Please, I hope you don't have one on your car, because if he's your co-pilot, you're driving. <laughs> Not him. And so he goes, Jesus is my co-pilot. I, I, I love God, and I live for God, and, and, and it's a lot of talk. We have that today. He says, not everyone who says, but then he shifts gears, but it's the one that does. You begin to see where Jesus is getting at all throughout this as he is giving keys to the kingdom, as he's giving characteristics of the kingdom. The result that he wants is action. He doesn't just want you analyzing it. He doesn't want you admiring it. Oh, look at the will of God. Man, that looks so good. Let me analyze it. Let me, let, me, let me get it in the Greek. Let me see what it says. Let me break it down and see if I can have four points from it. But if I never do it, God said, you're wasting your time. Actually, you're demonstrating who you really are. He says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, that is scary. There are a lot of people today in our churches talking a good game and are not in the Lord. I know this is not a message that's going to shout you. You may not leave here happy, but let me tell you what you can leave it. You can leave here secure. You can leave here satisfied. You can leave here settled. Here's what he says. He says, but the one that does the will of my Father who is in heaven, the one who set the agenda, the one who sets it, he says, if you are living out what you claim you are committed to, you're demonstrating your genuineness. So there are two professions. So let's read it. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he gets specific. On that day, what day? That judgment day, that end of it all, when time has come, when it is over. He says, on that day, many will say to me, I'm telling you right now, that is sobering. When I read that, I read it over and over and over. And many, many, even in the Greek, many means many, a lot. It means a lot. Many will say, once again, these are people that just keep saying stuff. And look at what they say. Look at that for a second. Look what they say. Lord, didn't we prophesy? 
Wow, that's humbling for me because that's preaching. That's proclaiming. Did, didn't I preach great messages, Jesus? Didn't I, didn't I preach for the people? Well, didn't I wow the crowd? I slayed them, Lord. Man, I came out and, and, and folk came to see me from long and far. Everyone told me how great the message was after I preached and how much of a blessing that it was. And people asked me to speak all over the country. As a matter of fact, I started traveling and speaking. I'm at conferences and I'm everywhere. Didn't I preach? Make it plain. Make it plain. This humbled and sobered me. I'll even dare say it scared me. And Part of that is Jesus' intent. Jesus doesn't scare him in the kingdom. No, no, no. Jesus wants a level of fear in you, warning you about the truth. Either the kingdom is for real or it's not. Either it is or it's not. Either Jesus is who he said he is or he's lying. That's what he's putting out to us. Either he says, I am Savior, or he's a liar. Which one is it? And so I look at this, and he said, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Please don't think that your service gets you set up in the kingdom. It doesn't. Please don't think that your ministry makes a way for you before God. It doesn't. Don't think that because you served the masses that the master is waiting for you. Look at what he takes and he says, didn't we prophesy? Then it gets deep. What did he say after that? Didn't we prophesy? Then he goes down and says, and image well prophesy in your name. God, it was for you. It was according to you, Jesus. Didn't I cast out demons in your name? And even as I read that, no one can clearly explain. Something is happening here in the, even the miraculous, but it ain't God. He says, did didn't we ca cast out demons? Something happened. No one can explain what, but, and, and it was miraculous, but it wasn't God. Why? Because of Jesus' response. He says, didn't I cast out demons in your name? Now we're getting into the, boy, he's spiritual. Whoa, look at him. And then he goes... I know I'm going to go long today, but this is the end of this series. We're going to be all right, right? He goes, didn't and do many mighty works in your name. Boy, we applaud and we pursue that like crazy in the church. We look for mighty works. He is doing a mighty work of the Lord, isn't he? That brother is mighty for the Lord. And God is asking the question, but is he living for me obediently? See, we look at actions. We look at what people are doing on the outside, and Jesus comes back and he says, I'm looking on the inside. He says, didn't we do? We would see these kinds of people and say, Christian, Super spiritual, mature, got it going on. And now there are believers that are doing that and are. But what Jesus says is give it a little time and see the real them. If, they, if, if indeed that's who they really are over time, they'll stay that way. If indeed that's who they really are, they will increase and grow. But what will they increase and grow in? In what he tells them, 
He says, they said something, but Jesus declares something. See, they made a profession, and then Jesus makes a proclamation. Because when he says he declares, he says, and I, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Who are you? What, what? I'm like, hold on a second, Jesus. Wait, wait. Who am I? What do you mean, who am I? I've been preaching for you. Boy, I've been, I've been, I mean, demons been running down the street from me, supposedly. Um, um, and, and, and I've been doing mighty, mighty works. I want to ask by whose standard. But I've been doing mighty, mighty work. People were, it was successful. It was, it was big, but people were coming. They were responding, Lord. People were, Jesus said, who are you? He said, I never knew you. You never were close to me. You know who I think of with this? I think of, and again, I think of Judas. I, 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 I understand Judas. Judas walked with Jesus in the flesh, looked him in his eye, face to face, ate with him for three and a half years. Okay, let's say roughly three years. And he wasn't enough. You needed more. You went to the very people who were bankrupt spiritually, who had nothing going on. He goes to the leaders to get money so that they could set him up. I'm like, how do you walk with Jesus physically? How do you walk with him? See, he was there for all the miracles. He was probably there when they walked on the water and got in the boat, when he calmed the sea, when he cast out demons, when he, well, I mean, all, he, he was there. And he goes, nah, I'm good, Jesus. There's got to be more than you. What is more than Jesus? And I look at Judas and I go, he walked away from it all because he never knew him. He was geographically in proximity to him, but he never was in relationship with him. And I will dare say to us today, and I say it soberingly, I say it humbly, that there are some of us that we are in proximity to Jesus, but we don't know him. And Jesus gives you that chance. He says, I open it up and expose it so you could do something. Well, what can I do? Fall at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, help me. I can't do this without you. He gives us that opportunity. Two choices, two professions. So he says to them, depart from me. And here is the deal. They thought they were doing mighty works. What did Jesus say they were doing? You who practice lawlessness. Hold on a second. You were breaking my law left and right. You were opposing me. Your life did not represent me. So again, they thought that they were doing mighty works. Jesus said all you were doing was living against my will. Huh? How does a person fool themselves like that? How do we? When we think that the things that we do on the outside count for the way that we live on the inside. We start making excuses. Oh, okay. Well, 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 well I'm a good preacher. I'm going to talk about preachers because I'm one. I'm one. I'm talking preacher for a second. Well, well hey, hey, hey. I, I, don't, I don't need to live holy before the Lord because, I mean, I'm, I'm just preaching great messages and, and, and folks are still coming to the Lord. It's okay. God doesn't mind if I cheat a little bit over here, if I, if I slide a little bit, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not faithful, if I'm, if I'm, 
if I'm a liar, just a little bit, just a little bit, not much. Oh, come on, but, but, but I'm doing some mighty works. God says, you're fooling yourself. He says, because on the inside, you know you have no desire to live for me. But you want other people to believe that you do. I had to pray over that one this week several times. I was like, Lord, my thoughts, my mind, my heart, please. Here's the deal. It is. They didn't have any They had no intention of living for Jesus. They just wanted to do some things that made people think that they did. And then finally, he goes from the two professions to the two buildings to the two houses. And this one, he sums it up and he says for them, he says, here's what he says. He says, therefore, what? Since obedient living is the mark of true kingdom citizenship, since obedient living is the mark of true Christian um, um, saving grace and maturity, since it is a demonstration of the fact that you have been changed. Now, understand this. Obedient living doesn't get you in to the kingdom. It doesn't. Obedient living doesn't get you in. You're in because of the saving grace and work of Jesus Christ, right? By faith alone, right? Grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, through Christ alone, right, right, right? That's it. You, you, you don't get in because of what you do. But if you are in, you will do. If you are in, you will be obedient. You will grow in obedience. You mean, I'll never sin. Oh, no, then none of us are in. But what you're saying is that when you sin, you don't stay there. You get up. It bothers you. It breaks your heart. You go, Lord, how did I do this again? And, and it begins to mess with you. If it doesn't bother you, if you can sin and not bat an eye, if you can continue to live like you want, you might need to check some things out. And so he says to us, you can check. So he says, finally, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I'm just out there. He compares them both. Two things that they have in common. They both hear the words of Jesus. They both hear the word of God. So we're not talking about those who never heard and those who heard. He's talking about they both heard and he says, I want you to respond to what you've heard. That's what he says to you. I want you to respond to what you heard. Two, two things. He says, so the first one who is like the man who built his house on the rock, some of us will be tempted to say Jesus is the rock. Well, indirectly, in this particular text, his word is the rock. He says, whoever obeys me, whoever hears these words of mine and does them is like a man who built his house on bedrock. And they knew that. You know, you, and he said, you had a firm foundation. What? When you are Doing the word of God that you hear, the life and the house that you are building is on a good foundation. You ever see the difference? I, I, I would actually watch this. In Manhattan, you know, growing up in, no, growing up in New York City, in Manhattan, you would see when they would do buildings, and they would dig so far deep. They would dig real deep into the ground, into the bedrock on that island, and then go up, as opposed to... Your beach house that's out there that's on stilts. Which one is going to withstand the hurricane? Which one is going to withstand the flood? 
Which one is going to withstand those 175 mile an hour winds? I remember working in New York one time in the financial district when we were having a hurricane come through and they were sending people home. And I remember at that particular time I was still in college and I was working part time and I went up to collect some stuff from one department to bring to another. And I got up into the trading floor of this one um, brokerage house that was there and they were clearing out, you know, people were leaving pretty quickly, and I'm like, I need to be leaving too. So I got my stuff, and I heard this noise. It was this, uh, that's all I heard. Uh, and I said to one of the guys, who was there, I said, what's that? I said, what, what is that? He said, that's the building moving. I said, what? And this was like a, a 50, 60-story office tower. I was like, the building? He said, it has to. It's built to sway. That way it doesn't snap in the wind because the wind was picking up. He said, what you hear is the movement. It moves about a quarter inch in, every dire in, in, in both directions. And I was like, I'm gone. <laughs> and I left. But here's what it is. That building, because the foundation went deep, that building was meant to withstand the wind. It would sway, but it wouldn't snap. Now, you're your beach house on stilts looks pretty on the shore. When that wave comes in, that wind comes in, it's gone. It's done. Why? Because of the foundation. Jesus says two houses. The things that distinguish these houses are the foundations they are built on. And he says both houses experience the same thing. Can we stop telling believers? Can we stop telling people that are new in the faith, come to Jesus and it'll all be all right? You won't go through anything, nothing to happen. Life will be good. Anyone to come to Jesus that way. And he's a genie. And then he says the same storms that hit the house on the rock hit the house on the sand. The same winds. As a matter of fact, if you look at the structure of the sentence, it's the same way that the rain. When it says rain, it's not talking about the rain that we get in an afternoon. It's talking about torrential rains that they experienced in there. He is talking about the downpours. He is talking about those things where you can't see driving down the street. So you got to pull over those kind of rains and then mix that with wind. So that rain is now not coming like this. It's coming like this as you're driving. And then floodwaters rise because too much water at one time. We've been seeing it here, floodwaters. So you get all that. Life will give you torrential rain when an illness or a job loss comes. It will give you floodwaters that rise when a death happens. And boy, you are reeling from what's happening in your life. You guys have just heard from us and what our family has just gone through. But the deal becomes, it was, and I've told several people, my anchor held me. Why? Because I knew who God is and was and will be. It doesn't change the fact that we are sorrowful. As I was sharing with one of the brothers this morning, 2 Corinthians 6 9, talks about that when it was said, sorrowful, but always rejoicing. I understood that in greater measure over these last three weeks. See, is your house built to withstand storms? Is your house built to withstand the crisis that happens? And let me take it to the end. Is your house prepared for that final storm? What is that? Death yours. Is it going to, is what you built, is what is it that you have built, 
able to withstand the life that is to come. Not only here is it able to withstand later. Jesus says, if it is not based on these words of mine, he says, it won't. Now, you could either believe him or you could not. I've told somebody once, belief never changes truth. You can you cannot believe that, and, and, and I can tell you that I have such and such. You say, I don't believe you. Okay, you just don't believe me. But it doesn't change truth. Belief doesn't change it. And for, the, and for you and I, what belief does is it causes us to embrace the reality that is. And Jesus said, if you follow these words of mine, if you obey these words of mine, you are building a life, a house on the rock. And you know, storms will come. But it says, and look, it says it in the negative. It did not fall. It didn't say, and it stood. It said, other structures will fall, but this one will not. Why? Because it was built on a foundation made to withstand it. Your obedience to God, your obedience to the words of Christ is what is causing you to stand in life. And so it says to me, your disobedience to the words of Christ is going to lead to your fall. And then he says at the end, and great was the fall. Why was it great? Because it was eternal. It was disastrous. And so at the finish, as we end it, notice how Jesus ends his sermon. See, for many of us, but we wanted that, hey, Jesus, shout us out, man. Where's the organ? Come on. And he start the, you know, and, and, and hey, I was in the South at, 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 at one of the funerals, and, and I'm telling you right now, that, that brother, he shouted us out. And the organ was playing and going. I was in the sure enough South. But Jesus wasn't shouting us out here. He left us at the end, the very end, and great was the fall. And so he says to you and I, choose. What kind of life will you have? And then lastly, what we get, boy, is they were shocked and astonished because they said he spoke with authority. Of course he did. Why? He's the king. Kings always speak with authority. Kings always speak what they know, real kings, true kings, and especially the king of kings. He speaks what he knows. He knows his authority. He knows what he is there to do. He knows his kingdom. He knows it cannot fail. It cannot fall. He knows it will be a kingdom that will last forever. So when he speaks, he speaks with that kind of authority. And they said, he speaks with one as with authority, not like the scribes. Boy, what an indictment, because when they spoke, anyone could have spoke the moral messages that they spoke. I heard a brother just recently say, wow, Brothers, when you preach, don't preach a message. He said that an Islamic imam can preach. He said, don't preach a message that a Jewish rabbi can preach. I would even ask that, don't preach a message that a Buddhist monk can preach. He said, you are reading the very words, the living word of God. 
He said, preach the difference that it is. He said, preach the power that it is. Don't come in here with these nice, soft, comfortable, moral messages that anyone can stand up and preach. He said, preach God's word because it makes the difference. Boy, that hit me hard. God says, I've given you my word. And my word is going to hold you and set you. Will you listen? It is ours to choose. Let's pray. Father.